all of you for your support for me over the past year, and I want to say how much I've missed this church and community. Uh, over my five years in D.C., I was a part of two different um, really good church communities, but neither felt like home like CBC does. Um, and I'm really looking forward to talking with all of you and catching up, um, but while I have the opportunity to just address everyone all at once, I wanted to open with my deep, heartfelt appreciation and love for all of you. Um, all right, so now for the sermon. Uh, when I was a kid, the only thing in the world that I wanted was a remote control airplane. I regularly had dreams. <laughs> I regularly had dreams where I would it would be my birthday, and I'd be sitting there, and I'd have opened up all the presents, and there was one left, and I knew for certain that it was a remote control airplane. And I was so excited to open it, and I'd reach out and just start to tear the paper open, and then I'd wake up every time. <laughs> if someone had told me at that age, young Dylan, you can have a remote control airplane, I would have said yes immediately, no matter what. Hey, 10-year-old Dylan, do you want a remote control? Yes! All you have to do is yes! Never have candy ever again. Yes, 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 yes! Now, I don't think I knew this passage of the Bible at that age. I don't think it was in our Precious Moments Bible. Um, and it's probably a good thing that it wasn't, because if I had, I would have immediately knocked on my closet door and expected a remote control airplane to be right there. Um, because cause it's a pretty big promise that, that Jesus is making here. Um, it sounds like something out of a genie. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. Um, and it's difficult sometimes reading this because it's not really what we experience in our day-to-day -day lives. We've all had prayers, big and small, that we feel like don't get answered, at least not in the way that we want it to. Um, and some, maybe that's a good thing, because if everyone could just ask for anything they wanted, sort of rub that prayer genie and it would always happen, then we would probably be in some trouble. Um, scripture's really good at setting up things like this, where you read it, and because it's scripture, you have to understand that it's true, but you don't really understand why it's true, uh, because it doesn't jive with our day-to-day -day experience. So whenever we encounter things like this, the first thing to do is always look at the context. Um, when I was looking through and listening to some of the sermons that came before, I was really glad that sort of everyone had picked passages earlier in the Sermon on the Mount because you've already received a lot of the context of it through different pieces of it. Um, but I just want to go over it really quickly. If I were to make a quick summary of the thesis of the Sermon on the Mount, it's that the kingdom of God works very differently than the ways of earth and that we should be living in tune with the ways of the kingdom of God. Um, now that's a gross simplification, but I think it's important to point out to understand what Jesus is talking about here. He says that the first shall be last, not to worry about our future and that we shouldn't necessarily even promise anything because our word should be enough. And we all know that this isn't the way that the world that we or the original listeners uh, knew or knew how to live themselves even. I think that the Sermon on the Mount as a whole is one of the most challenging passages in the gospel because it's so easy sometimes to think of Jesus as the lenient parent. Um, a lot of families have sort of the easygoing parent and the rules parent. And I think that a lot of people, including myself, would put 
God the Father as the rules parent. He's got his Ten Commandments. He's got a whole list of things in the Old Testament that you have to follow. And then Jesus comes along and he rolls a lot of that back, um, sort of changes the way things work. But what's easy to forget sometimes is that even if Jesus rolls back the rules, he doesn't roll back the standards of holiness. And that's really exemplified in his um, Sermon on the Mount. Um, and yeah, so I'm someone who has a hard time with being given grace. My family was never very disciplinary when I was a kid. Um, once I was never very, uh, mischievous to begin with, but I did have one time where, where I was far too old to be doing this, probably like 14 or 15. And my sisters had some friends over and they were using the trampoline outside our house and I noticed that the sprinkler was right there. And it was just too good of an opportunity to pass up. So I sneak over and turn on the sprinkler, and they're all falling over on the trampoline because it's all of a sudden wet and slippery. Now, I should have been punished for that. That's just something that I should have faced some repercussions for. And my mom talked about grounding me, but it never occurred because she's not very good at that kind of thing. Um, and so I was pretty happy about that. But in general, when it comes to things that are a little more important or bigger, I always struggle with the idea of accepting grace. I feel unworthy or that I should sort of have to face some of these repercussions. Grace is something that is so um, beautiful as a concept, but sometimes when we are given it, it's harder for us to accept it. At least that's the way it is for me. And so I think that's what's so hard about these standards that Jesus sets up here sometimes. I know that we all sin, including obviously myself, and fall short of the glory of God, and that Jesus' sacrifice has freed us from the sin. Um, but when the ideals of holiness are laid out like this, sometimes I really feel so unworthy. Um, and I can't imagine what the people in the audience, when Jesus first gave this message, were thinking. I'm sure that a lot of them just sort of wrote it off, because this is just so absurd. Um, they could have. They must have thought that it was impossible and they would never be able to live like that and just sort of wrote it off. But what about the ones who really wanted to follow him? They didn't know the extent of the grace that was about to be poured out on them. If I feel unworthy because I can't live up to this, imagine what those disciples and followers felt without knowing about Jesus' gift to us. And I think that the meaning of this passage is dependent on that confusion. Considering that we read this passage and ask ourselves and God, how are we supposed to do this? I think that this passage is answering that, is Jesus answering that question. In my meetings with Pastor Dick, when we talk about sermon writing, um, and I hope I'm not giving away your secrets here, but he, uh, he often brings up the idea of attention, that attention is sort of one of the keys to giving a good sermon. Um, in the beginning, you set up a tension, like, why didn't I get a remote control airplane if I prayed for it? And then that brings people in, and they sort of follow your train of thought because they're hooked on this tension. I think that Jesus is setting up the tension in the first part of the Mount, the sermon. He's setting up the tension of how are you supposed to do this? Um, now, Dick is an amazing speaker, and I think he puts a lot of work into thinking about things, but I think that Jesus probably came up with this idea of tension before he did. <laughs> and so I think that um, 
Sorry, I lost my spot a little bit. So how can we live as citizens of heaven when we're so broken? Jesus responds, ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. I think that Jesus is, by saying this, agreeing that it's no easy task. In fact, it's impossible on our own. But at the same time, is promising us what we should already know, but don't always understand. That all things are possible with him. And isn't that a beautiful answer to the tension? Jesus responds to my self-doubt, my sense of unworthiness, and sometimes even despair with comforting assurance. He promises us that even though the journey will be hard, we will continually be equipped to travel it as long as we keep knocking. And what I think is so wonderful about how this passage comes off as an opportunity for selfishness at first We can ask for whatever we want, but it's really an example of our reliance on God to provide us with the ability. Um, So how does this work? Uh, If the answer to to how did we do all these things, if this is the answer to how we do all these things, there's still the question of why it's so hard. I've asked God for the ability to love my neighbor better, um, for the strength to live righteously, and for faithfulness but sometimes it's still so hard. And so, in the words of Ricky from I Love Lucy, there's still some splaining to do. (laughs) And I think that that's what the second half of the section alludes to. Which of you, if your son asked for bread, would give him a stone? I think it's clear that our prayers, I think this is a clear promise that our prayers will never go unanswered when we're asking for the strength to um, follow God better. Um, God is not going to hand us a stone. But if your child asks for bread, you might not give him the whole loaf of bread at once. Um, We love instant gratification, but if there's one thing that I've experienced with God, it's that he's not often a God of instant gratification. God is a God of process and progress. Um, And I think that's probably why it doesn't work like an on-off switch. God likes to invite us into the growing process. If we could pray... Um, for the ability to live righteously all the time. Um, It wouldn't give us an opportunity to struggle and to grow from it. And so what God has done is set up a 100% guarantee that our prayers will help us grow closer to him, but we have to be a part of the process. And I think that that's, I think that it's really cool how he's set up this process, how he's set up this guarantee. Now, to my own detriment, I can live cyclically sometimes, and occasionally this isn't a problem. I'll go through a six-month period where I'm reading every single book that I can get my hands on, and then just like that, I'll lose interest all of a sudden. Sometimes it's in the middle of a book, and I won't read for several months in a row after that. And I don't think that's a problem. It mixes things up. Some people might want to read all the time, but I think that it's kind of fun to have this sort of process of mind. But it is a problem when when the cyclical nature invades my spiritual life. Um, I think that that's one of the biggest weaknesses that I struggle with in my faith life is that sometimes my faith is too tied to circumstance. And so when I'll go through hard times or good times or like a conference or a retreat or something, I'll be on a spiritual high and then it will sort of dip down and then it'll come back up and come back down. And one thing that I've learned in processing this weakness within me when, with um, mentors and um, and peers is that oftentimes it's really a direct result of not leaning on prayer enough. 
because when I'm praying, even if I'm not praying for faithfulness, I will always become closer to God. When I'm praying, even if I don't get the answer to the prayer that I'm looking for, if I'm praying for guidance or for direction and I'm still just as lost as I was before, every single time I always feel, I can always see God's movement in the world around me and in my life better than before I was doing it um, as much. And so I think that this is how God guarantees it. As we are praying, we are interacting with the Holy of Holies, and there's no way that you can be interacting with the most high, most powerful being in the universe and not be changed by it. That's how God guarantees that when we ask, we shall receive, because by the very act of asking, we are receiving by being in communion with him. The process of sanctification is the process of becoming more like the example that Jesus lays out in his sermon and more like Jesus himself. And one of the main ways that that sanctification process occurs is through interacting with God Most High. Answers to prayer can be amazing and even life-changing, but if I'm honest, a lot of my prayers may or may not have been that may or may not have been answered didn't really matter in the long run. Like, for example, I prayed at the end of my sophomore year, I had the option to live with two different groups of people. I could either live with people that had been living before or some of my newer friends. And I prayed a lot about that. And I think it was good to pray about it, but I, A, I don't know if the prayers directly led to one decision or another. I think it was more circumstance with who lived in what apartment and what didn't. But I also think that God would have worked in me and through me regardless of where I was living. But the process of praying for that, I think, really brought me closer to God. I can't tell you if I ever got that remote control airplane. Um, I think I, I think I probably did at some point, but I really don't remember. I may have gotten it and broken it quickly. I may have like lost it or something. But what I do remember is that thinking about it, the imagining it, the dreaming about it. I remember engaging with the thought of it and that stuck with me up until now. And I think that that's something that we often forget is the value of prayer outside of the airplane. We can be praying for our airplane and maybe God wants us to have the airplane. And if he does, that's awesome. But if he doesn't, it's still a valuable thing to do and it sticks with you and changes you. And so I would challenge us this week to take at least one prayer session and really sort of focus on seek, asking, seeking, and knocking outside of the airplane, um, praying for that ability to live the way that the Sermon on the Mount lays out, praying for um, the will, praying for the strength, praying for the faith, um, outside of any of the other things, because I think that it's something that's really valuable, and it's one of the prayers that we have been 100% promised by Jesus himself will be answered. And when we're given a promise that a prayer will be answered, um, it's best to take advantage of that. Thanks.